Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Chris Whittingham here until 10 on 560 WQAM. Or thanks to Neil Blackman and Doug Plagans for joining us in the last hour. Talking some Women's World Cup, talking some hockey, some Bookum Bobrovsky. As the Florida Panthers have a new exciting goaltender. Now, the uh, Danny mentioned the update. Well, both uh, sporting events that I'm watching right now. The Miami Marlins are in a rain delay, and it looks absolutely torrential at Nationals Park. I think we're going to have a doubleheader tomorrow. Yep, that uh, probably seems more likely. I did have this thought, though. As I watch the tarp, why does a baseball diamond have to have dirt? What if they, because they have to put a tarp over it, because if water fell in the dirt, then it got all then it gets all soggy. Yes. Why couldn't they just have an entire infield that's made of grass? Because I believe I believe digging in on the dirt gives you like a better push when you run, if I'm not mistaken. That's a good point, but it's it's just a thought that I had. No, I mean what it's if, like one of those things if, you never think about. Yeah, like like what what if we got rid of the dirt and you just played on grass, and the the whole thing was grass. You don't have to put tarp over grass. You have to put tarp over a baseball diamond. I always thought it served two purposes. Mm-hmm. This is and I've never really given it much thought, but in my brain, this you is know how what? I, I think I'm going to call Levitard show on Friday when Tim Kirchin is on. And I'm going to ask him this question. Yeah, because I've always thought it was twofold. Number one, because it kind of like well defines, like I guess you could say, like the running lanes between bases. Mm-hmm. That, and it's just easier easier to dig your dig your cleats into the dirt and take off than it is to do it on grass. Right. I wonder what the origins of it of. I wonder. I wonder if there was a, ba- a version of baseball that was once played on nothing but grass. The only person I who who probably answered that question who was there would probably be Peter Gavins. <laughs> Who was there? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. What's Peter Gammons up to? I haven't heard from Peter Gammons in a while. Peter, I, I, I'm somehow I think Peter Gammons is just kind of you know, he's doing the I'm that old kind of thing. He's just watching baseball. Yeah, he's just watching baseball from his house. He's done. It's, a, it's actually like if you're into golf as a young man, and it's the perfect thing you age into. If you're into baseball as a young person, it's gonna also be your thing when you're an old person because old people love baseball. Old people love baseball and golf. Those are the two old people sports. Golf, What's up? Never liked golf, though. Yeah. Well, you're not old yet. But I like baseball. Always have. Yeah. Oh, my God. Are you telling me I want to watch the Masters one day? Give it Give it time. It's one of those things. Like, people people go, oh, how, how is golf going to survive when young people aren't interested in golf? And it's like, it's a thing you age into. As you become less athletic, right? As, you know... You tear an Achilles an Achilles tendon out there playing playing basketball. Eventually, give up, pick up basketball, and so old people need a sport, and that sport is golf. And then once you start playing golf, then you start watching golf, and then you're a golf fan. People age into being a golf fan. My story for why I got into playing golf is because I sucked at other sports, and I figure I might be better at golf. I wasn't, but at least I tried. Well, I, th- I thought it would be the pants. What where where oh wearing like the plaid yeah. pants like Ian Poulter pants? Yeah. I'd love to wear Ian Poulter pants. The thing is, it's too damn hot here. I was actually because during the football season, it's very hard to play golf. Even though December January down here in South Florida is the best time to actually go and play golf because it's delightful. But you actually have the most time during the summer because it's not like there are sporting events on the weekends that you want to watch. But uh, during the summer, it's impossible to play golf. It's freaking hot outside. Oh, it's been death the last few days. It's been incomprehensibly hot. You walk out the door, it's like, my God, what is this? 
But uh, but that, it's sort of the, it's the time of the year that almost best works uh, to go and play. So as you mentioned, Brazil won Argentina nil at Copa America, and what a goal! Mwah, chef's kiss. That was absolutely delightful. The goal that was scored, six pass move. Bing, bang, first one touch, slide it in, and it's one of those that the passing is so incisive and so quick that Gabriel Jesus, all he has to do is get a boot to it. It's a tap-in for him. It's a tap-in for Brazil to lead by a goal to nil, and I'm gleefully awaiting the departure of Argentina from this tournament. Number one, too physical for my liking. And number two, they're just bad. They're a bad national team that somehow got a lucky-ass draw and is in a very forgiving tournament format where they can advance despite being terrible. Argentina's bad, and it offends me how bad they are as a national team. They should be. Lionel Messi plays for them. He's played for them for 15 years. He almost just curled one into the top corner. It's offensive to me. You have the best player in the world. And you can't build a competent national team around him. Now, some of that's his fault, too, because he's got these political things where he wants to play with certain players and the whole thing has to be fit around him. So there are certain attacking talents that work for other teams, but maybe not for Messi. Some of that's his fault. But man, in central midfield, at fullback, at goalkeeper, they have failed. And at manager, at federation level, it offends me to my core that Argentina cannot build a competent national team around Lionel Messi. But we have other things to get to in the world of the NBA. And I want to first dispel one thing uh, when it comes to the Jimmy Butler signing, which for me has been a bizarre thing that's gone on, which is, well, what does this matter really? Because ultimately, you can't win the championship with Jimmy Butler as your lead guy. Jimmy Butler can't be your lead guy. And people on Twitter are going, why is he going to Miami? If he wants to win, he can't be the lead guy. It just doesn't matter to me that, yeah, I'll grant you that Jimmy Butler on his own can't win the championship as the lead guy. He's going to probably have to be your second or third best player if you're going to win the championship. But you can't get those guys that are better than Jimmy Butler without having Jimmy Butler or a reasonable facsimile. And I hate to tell you, Justice Winslow is not that reasonable facsimile. Good player. Josh Richardson, good player. A a testament to the drafting and development of the Miami Heat, which they should do more of instead of giving away first-round picks. But they don't have anyone on their roster that when you go into a free agent meeting and Brooklyn, you know, they've got Kyrie Irving who wants to go there and he's talking to Kevin Durant about wanting to go there, you have to have one that begets the other. Or you have to have a partnership that want to go there together and you've got your two max salary spaces. But until you do, in two years' time, if you want to try and pull something off, you have to get someone like Jimmy Butler. You have to start somewhere. And theoretically, right, the heat in the aftermath of Dwayne Wade leaving and Chris Bosh leaving and LeBron James leaving had some superstar relationship issues to fix. They had some real issues to fix in terms of having the personal relationships with those guys fall apart. It just doesn't make sense that it was so harmonious for four years and then in three years' time, LeBron left and then Dwayne left and then Chris Bosh, obviously the sickness thing happened, but even beyond that, he got pissed off at the Heat for how they handled it. And that so superstar relations have to be fixed, and you can fix it in a, in a variety of ways, right? So Brooklyn, they start with... They start with a situation where they don't have their three first-round picks... And two pick swaps, and they lose Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum because they have made such a disastrous trade that's broken their franchise for five years. How are they going to fix it? They start acquiring all your—it's you know, you know, like the Statue of Liberty. Give me all your huddled masses 
in Brooklyn, right? So they trade for D'Angelo Russell, and they try in these these restricted offer sheets to try and put other teams off, if not bring in players who might not otherwise want to come there on exorbitant salaries. And they pull off all these moves, which I'm just in awe of. I'm in awe of, of how they did this. Trading Thad Young for the 20th pick, which turns into Karis Levert, a player that's attractive. They signed Spencer Dinwiddie from the G League. They traded Boyan Bogdanovich for a first-rounder, which turns into Jared Allen, a player who contributes for them. They traded for D'Angelo Russell. And then they went for the big move, clearing the cap space uh, with Alan Crabb and Timofey Mozgov to pull this off. So you kind of prove it with competence, which is what Brooklyn has done. They took a terrible situation, and they fixed it. And the 30-11 and 11 season, for me, could have been that. When they start 11-30, and 30, everyone's thinking, you lost Dwayne Wade, you lost Chris Bosh, you lost LeBron James, you're in dire straits going into that January. And for me, you tank. That's what the obvious thing to do was. But they didn't. The Heat proved they're not going to tank. They win. They're a winning organization. And they won three-fourths of their games for half a season. It's the worst thing that could have happened because they ended up signing players to terrible contracts. But you proved as an organization that you're competent, that you're good, that you know what you're doing, that you can win games. That's the rehab that Brooklyn did this year. They got to the playoffs when it might not have been in their best interests. But it allowed them to rehab their organization. But the Heat don't have the cap space to then pull off those moves. But you start to build that credibility with Dwayne Wade on social media, with Jimmy Butler as best friends going back and forth, with Chad Ochocinco going, hey, Boogie, why don't you come here? And, and going to Jamal Crawford, hey, why don't you come here? And having you know some, some big-time recruitment. Recruitment is a massive part of this now. There's a great saying in college football, a, always. B, B. C, Cruton. Always be Cruton. As uh, sort of to the, uh, what's the what's the Alec Baldwin movie? That would movie? be the Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Glen Gary, Glen Ross, of course. I should know that off the top of my head. Always be Cruton. That's, uh, that's college football. And that's uh, the, the, the coaches that do well are the ones that are recruiting well. Now, doesn't mean I would be interested in recruiting because I don't know who's good now. But... Trust that your head coach knows what he's doing. And so, in basketball, recruiting is a huge part of this. So you either have to have some figure, a front office, well, it's not really even a front office figure, because otherwise Pat Riley would be doing this. It's really more player to player. Players recruiting players. And Jimmy Butler has got some friendships around the league now. He might have some players who might not like him as much, but he's got some relationships around the league where it's a starting point on recruiting the big free agents that you want to fix this organization. And ultimately, that is a huge step, even beyond the fact that from a basketball point of view, it's also a huge step because it's a talent that you just didn't have. If on a trade, it's Richardson Whiteside for Jimmy Butler, you've upgraded the talent level, the capability of your basketball players on your team with what they can do from a creation individually from a playoff performance from going down the stretch five minutes to play in a basketball game do you have a guy that can get you buckets and that's jimmy butler's bread and butter that's that's what he does jimmy butler gets buckets in big moments his nickname is jimmy buckets that's what he does and so at the end of games you have that guy the heat didn't have that they were trying to do it by committee and I still want him to do it within a team construct, which I think he can. But at the same time, you have a player that is entirely different to what you a perimeter creator of his own shot. They didn't have that on this team. And so I'm really excited that the Heat do have that. And they gave up some stuff to get him, and they're fixing mistakes. And ultimately, you have to point out that they were mistakes that they're fixing. But... At the same time, you can't go just because he's not Kawhi Leonard. Oh, well, then what's the point of that? No, th- these are. this is a step in the right direction. They're finally taking steps in the right direction after really for three years taking nothing but steps in the wrong one from a team-building standpoint. This is a step in the right direction from a superstar standpoint. And it's why, okay, Jimmy Butler can't be the best player on a championship, a championship team. But it's a start. And my God almighty, the Miami Heat. Just need a start. We're back after this on QAM. Radio.com. Radio. Radio.
Radio.com. Chris Whittingham here until 10 on 560 WQAM. Here until 10 p.m. Ira Winderman will join us in about 20 minutes from now. Copa America at the break. It is Brazil 1, Argentina 0. The Copa America being played in Brazil. And the hosts trying to win a major tournament for the first time since 2002. The country that has won five World Cups has gone 17 years without winning a major tournament, including the Copa America. And they will try and change that. On Sunday, which is actually a cracking day if you are a soccer fan of any size or shape. Because there are three tournament finals that take place on Sunday for your enjoyment. You have the Women's World Cup Final, which now we know will feature the United States of America. That will take on either Holland or Sweden. Then you have the Copa America final, which will be at 4 p.m. Brazil-Argentina against the winner of Chile and Peru. And then at 9 p.m., the United States could potentially be playing Mexico in the CONCACAF Gold Cup final, the CONCACAF Gold Cup semifinals tonight and tomorrow night with, uh, first off, you have Mexico tonight. They are taking on Haiti. If they win, then they get through to the final, take on the winner of the United States and Jamaica. So you could have three cracking finals. Crikey. On Sunday. That was Australian. I know. <laughs> Although, I guess the English use crikey too. But you have, uh, so you have three incredible soccer matches taking place on Sunday. Your international summer of soccer continues. And then we'll be into the club season before long. There is no off season in soccer. It never ends. It is amazing. It's amazing. And, he, and even in that time in between, you got MLS. You got MLS going on. I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. I've been commentating on some matches. I've been watching. We haven't done, uh, we haven't quizzed Danny yet on, uh, on MLS. I've done no homework. Okay. Let's start. Why don't we do, can you name five players that are in Major League Soccer right Absolutely now? Absolutely not. No? No possible way. No possible way. No. My my number the number of soccer players I know period wow one hand like you read three of them mess, in the update yeah well I just I had to look them up like those <laughs> are female soccer players and I had to look them up because you know it's a big deal yeah like as far as like like guys I know Messi um there's like a million Ronaldos um, right there's only one that matters right now there's only one that matters right now, but there was yeah. another one right like I yeah kept, I, I remember there's, asking Brazi- them, there's Brazilian Ronaldo and Portuguese Ronaldo okay because I, I remember I remember asking Don it's Don I was like. Has Ronaldo been playing for like 20 years? <laughs> well, it'd be like 30, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, let's see, I know Ronaldo, Messi. Um... Okay, there's a guy who used to play for Manchester. <laughs> well, okay. Well, he's our owner, so there's one. Uh, there's There used to be another guy who played for Manchester United, very famous, uh, has a balding issue. Um... You know, this... I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you his first name. Wayne... Really? Nothing, nothing. You don't know who Wayne Rooney is? Nothing, nothing. Wow. Only Rooney's I know are like the owner of the Steelers. Okay. There, Christ. There's a big Swede. He's Swedish. And he plays for LA Galaxy. He's a larger-than-life figure. You see him on Jimmy Kimmel Live. He has a giant lion tattooed on his back. He uh, he, he goes by I, I, I am blank. I am blank Ibrahimovic. I, I, the Ibrahimovic thing is familiar to me. Yeah. I, I don't know his okay. first name. First name is Zlatan. Zlatan. Do you know who Zlatan is? No. Wow. Those are the, those, those are the two that I got. I'm telling you, Those man. are the two MLS guys that I got. You, I'm telling you. I have You're going no, in blind. I have okay. no clue about the MLS. Listen, All right. I'm going to give, listen, and, and, I'm, and I, am not, I am not a big, I'm not a big football fan, yeah. right? I'm not. I'm you just, can just call it football. It's fine. Football, fine. Football, uh, soccer. The world over, it's known as football. Okay. Look, I get it. I'm not a fan. It's not. It's not been my number one story. My sister loves it. She's gonna. She's. She's. She's already telling me. She's, I'm going to enter Miami games. Yeah. So it's my local team. 
I'm going to give it a fair shot. I'm going to give it a Come fair on. shot. I'm going to learn some MLS. It's yes. going to be a thing that's happened right. in my life. We're on it. Yeah. We're on it. So we'll we'll do it a little bit at a time. So, um, I, I, what, I don't even know the best way to explain MLS at the moment. Uh, just sort of, I mean, I mean, is there a difference between MLS playing like what you see at the World Cup? Um, so obviously the players of the World Cup are better, Clearly. right? But there's a major difference between club and, and and I mentioned this to Neil Blackman earlier. Club soccer is better than international soccer by the eye test. You just you watch international soccer, and basically international soccer teams are all star teams. They're a group of a country's best players that don't regularly play together that are trying to figure it out. And there is just a certain ceiling on a soccer team that play, that doesn't play together that often. And so international games are not as good as club games. And yet the amazing thing to me is that I'm on my Twitter timeline today and the people that are watching this game, the U.S.-England game, um, that are sort of general sports fans, first off, some of the some of the language and the jargon and the way that they – it's just it, – it's, it's bother, not I don't say bothersome. It's just like, okay – We've got some newbies around. The newbies are around uh, and, and here to watch some U.S. glory uh, at the Women's World Cup. Um, but even beyond that, uh, you know, thinking that this is the height of the sport when it's not. It's not the height of the sport. Uh, the NWSL is better than the Women's World Cup, right? The You know, I don't want to say MLS is better than the World Cup, but definitely all, all of the leagues in Europe are way better than the World Cup. But for whatever reason in this country, we get international sports and soccer is one of them. In a way that they, we just don't get the club game here in the same way. It's not as widespread. I, I don't get it. I don't know. Other than it's blank country versus blank country, who's better is among the more understandable formats of a sporting event. I just don't get why it objectively better, the objectively better product is not appreciated. Well, I'll tell you this. I've always had a theory when it comes to American soccer and why mm. and what it's going to take for it to like really break through. Because I know it's obviously it's gaining popularity. We're sure. talking about it on this show right now, but I honestly believe it's going to take a, it's going to take a player who is like who would be really good in the European leagues sure. to come from our vineyards, and he's our guy, yeah. and he makes a big and he, and he makes a big stink in the World Cup, and then all of a sudden he's playing. He, he's not going to go play overseas. He's going to play here in the MLS, and you know, and he's going to become the face of soccer. It's going to take that kind of guy who cannot. Because remember, like we talked about earlier, Americans like to dominate. We sure. want to win. This guy needs to be so good that, like, you know, the European players almost have to bow to him a little bit. It might be impossible. This may be an impossibly yeah. tall order. But I think that's what it will take for there to be, like, a full breakthrough. Well, I mean, I think that it, you really reach the point that you want to reach when that's no longer an anomaly. When you no longer have, you know, the one guy, like... We've had some guys that played well in the Premier League and in European competition. Like, sure, sure, like, but he's not but, like a transcendent athlete sure, type personality. Right, right. I mean, what, like if Freddie Adu had lived up to his promise and gone the world over and started dominating, that's the kind of figure that it takes. But um, you have, I mean, Christian Pulisic just got to move to Chelsea. He's going to play in the Champions League next year. Like, and, and, but it's really about churning that out on a consistent basis. And so um, I, I don't think that soccer really is going to have a breakthrough moment unless against the against all odds they win a world cup and it's like okay we're here but uh until then it's for me it grows incrementally as mls moves to uh, each market they get into their team and people you know go in droves like it's you know i was looking at attendance today like 15 teams that draw 20,000 a game in mls well wow, like, that kind of shocks me yeah i mean atlanta draws 45,000 a game seattle draws 40,000 a game um portland so Portland has sold out every match that they've ever played. But Portland has so little, has so little, has so little professional sports that I can like see that happening. Yeah, I mean they have the NBA, but yeah, the yeah. NBA, but that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, but yeah, I mean there there are cities um that I mean Atlanta has been the biggest shock. I mean they regularly draw seventy thousand for their MLS. That's crazy, team. and Atlanta has so many teams, so many teams that are poorly attended. Right, Major League Baseball there. Well, I mean they moved into new stadium, but at Turner Field there are some. Pretty sparse crowds yeah, at used, Hawks games. That didn't used to be the case, man. At, 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 at Hawks games, there's Ooh, Hawks pretty, games are bad. pretty sparsely attended games. Uh, when they had a hockey team, they lost their hockey team because they couldn't support it. So we're going, what are you going to Atlanta for? MLS. And it's been incredible. Uh, Cincinnati. Has their, team, has their team won, though? 
They well, they they won MLS Cup last year. There you but go. He, no, but even the year before, as an expansion team, they've never drawn less than forty thousand for a game. Wow. As an expansion team, they come That's out of really the gate. That's really shocking to me. Yeah, it's incredible. They, they, MLS is a formula for getting people through the door. What they don't have a formula for is getting people to watch on television, which is the next step. Is like, well, oh, where are their games played? Where uh, do you work? Where, where, where can you watch an MLS game? ESPN and Fox. Really? So yeah. what? When does Fox have an MLS game on TV? Uh, most often on a Sunday night, like Sunday at seven. Sunday at seven, so right before like they're like they put on Family Guy and stuff. No, like no, that. no, no. It's on FS One. Oh, FS One. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. So it's on. When ES- you say Fox, I'm thinking. Yeah, Major no, yeah, Network. no. It's no. I, I, I think actually on on Sunday after the Women's World Cup final, there will be an MLS match on Fox. I forget which one exactly it is. Uh, I'll look it up right now. But um, they'll occasionally use like a big major tournament as sort of a vehicle uh, to get people to watch on the big, ne- on the big network. But uh, So Sunday, Atlanta United and New York Red Bulls. Sunday at 2 p.m., a rematch of last year's uh, Eastern Conference final. 2 p.m. after the Women's World Cup final. All right, all right. Yeah, but, I mean, ESPN is probably their their most the the best chance to get viewership for sure, there, for right? sure. And and they struggle. It's like the lowest rated thing that that airs on ESPN I, I can't regularly. Imagine. Yeah, so uh, it it's it's hard, but I mean, these things grow incrementally, and I think it's it's a sport that's growing, and people are getting excited about it. I mean, listen, I'm I, like I said, I'll give it a shot. It's just you know, I just. I have I have a hard time I have a hard time with soccer, especially on television. Like I'm really looking forward to going to I'm really looking forward to going to a soccer game in person. Yeah, yeah, it's actually fun to me that forward to doing. To be honest, I, I went to I went to England on vacation. I saw eight matches in nine days, and that about double the number of live oh my soccer god, matches. You must have been you must have been like oh. a pig and stink. Oh my god, tremendous, absolutely tremendous. I loved every second of it, but um. But that, but that sort of, you know, it was it was a crazy experience. How different it is watching it in person. Like I go to the odd, you know, the international champions cup when it came, and I really only ever saw friendlies. I've never actually, other than MLS when I was seven, when 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 the fusion were going strong, seven or eight years old. I don't think I've ever really seen competitive matches. And then I went to I went to one Miami FC match when they were in NASL and they were playing in the Open Cup against Atlanta. Actually, I went to two of those games. Um, but I was commentating on a, a majority of them, so I didn't get to go. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I just I've not seen competitive matches in person. There's so much fun. I, I think people are going to realize that you're going to go and have an incredible time and want to come back. That's what MLS has done really well is you go, you have a great time, and then you want to come back. You have a great and, time and, at the game. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the crowds come back. But ultimately, that next step is getting you to then convert and watch it on television. Yeah, because that's where the real money is. Of to, course. To move of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, now, uh, I do want to get to the NBA here in terms of just going up and down the standings and seeing just how much the top of the league has changed. So the one team that sort of most stayed in stasis is the Milwaukee Bucks. So they were 60 and 22 a year ago and are basically bringing their team back. They re-signed Chris Middleton. They they now they did trade Malcolm Brogdon, which is a big deal and it could it could cause them to take a step back, but they bring back Giannis obviously, Brooke Lopez, Middleton, yeah, Bledsoe again. So you've got a team, right? That won 60 games a year ago, got to the Eastern Final, were 2 nothing up against Toronto. And then lost. So a next step for them is on the cards. They're up there as a contender. Now, Toronto is totally up in the air. Toronto with Kawhi, I mean, their season next year rests on Kawhi. But to me, what I'm trying to sort of illustrate here is just how much can change so quickly and how wide open this league can be if Kawhi just doesn't choose the Lakers. Just don't choose the Lakers. And this league is going to be ultra competitive next year. And that's a really exciting proposition as a fan where you're going, Golden State loses Kevin Durant. They won't have Klay Thompson for most of next year. Yeah, they get D'Angelo Russell in, but and I, I think they I think they announced another signing today. I forget I forget who already. But um they're gonna be mildly competitive on you know sort of on the brink of making a playoff spot but not championship good um Denver is a really interesting one to me obviously they had a really good season they're in extension talks uh with Jamal Murray but um you have Nikola Jokic who was a breakout star in last year's playoffs and maybe just by bringing back a majority of what they had they uh, opted in with Paul Millsap 
to bring him back. They're basically bringing back the same team and maybe even adding and developing a few more young players. So Denver is going to be right up there again. Houston, they're basically bringing back the same team and going again. Can they be competitive? Portland, adding Hassan Whiteside. That's a difference maker, right? No? Anybody? Hassan Whiteside? No. Difference maker for Portland? No. So, and then Philly. Philly has been, I mean, I think they've had a great free agency so far. You bring back Tobias. It's a bit expensive, that. I don't know what to make of Tobias Harris because it was a flop in Detroit when they paid him a lot of money coming from Orlando. It just it d- didn't change their franchise. Then he moved to the Clippers and did change their franchise. And then he moved to Philly and I don't think hardly made an impact. Well, he had to compete with Jimmy Butler for minutes. Of course. And, and with J.J. Redick and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid for shots. But somehow in the middle of that, they decided to sign him to a five-year, 33-a-year, you know, million-dollar extension. And it's five years, 180. And it's like, okay, Tobias Harris. But... Uh, that with Josh Richardson and Al Horford, that's a really good summer. It's a really good summer. They're top of the league competitive. But you don't know because they haven't done it yet. Well, and you don't thing- know how that's going to all look on one team. Well, the thing for the Sixers is that it's going to come down to whether Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid can really play well in the playoffs. Let's just, let's just, let's sure. just call it spade a spade. Sure. Joel Embiid you know, had like little nagging injuries. It kept him out of playoff right. games when it counted the most. And you, you can't do that down the stretch in the NBA. If, you're, if, you, get, if you can be on the floor, you got to be on the floor. And, and the other thing, too, is now you realize that the prudent thing to do is to put him on a resting program. Oh, he, he wanted to prove last year that he could play 82 games. Don't do that. Kawhi Leonard playing 60 games is the model for me going forward for the NBA. Have everyone do that, and especially players that are injury-prone. Joel Embiid should play 60 games next year. That that would make sense on a resting plan. And so if they can get him in good condition and fully healthy for a four-round playoff chase, I think Philly is just as competitive as anyone. And then you have Utah, who won 50 games a year ago, adds Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, Ed Davis, Jeff Green, and today they just signed Emmanuel Moutier. So Utah making moves with Donovan Mitchell as kind of the anchor piece of all of that. They let go of Derek Favors, but he's always kind of been redundant in that team, uh, given that you already have Rudy Gobert with Joe Ingles. And I, I think Utah, I, I would not be shocked if they're competing at the highest in the Western Conference. Again, if Kawhi just doesn't go to the Lakers. Then you have Boston. I don't know what Boston's doing. I mean, the, the, you get Kevin Walker to kind of salvage the Kyrie departure, but... You're supposed to have Kyrie and Anthony Davis, and that's the that's the standard that I'm judging them by. If they don't get those two guys, then it's really a concern that they had all this stuff and they couldn't figure out a way to put it together. Oklahoma City is going to stay the same. Indiana has made some really interesting moves, uh, bringing in Ricky Rubio. Or I'm sorry, um, Malcolm Brogdon from Milwaukee. Um, I think, I mean, I, I trust, I mean, the Clippers, if they get Kawhi, Sacramento can make another leap. Obviously, the Lakers will go forward. Memphis has done some interesting stuff, but I'm really intrigued by just how open the NBA can be next year. And I love the fact that the league has been the, you know who the four or five teams are they're going to win, and the same franchises have won it for 30 years is going to dramatically change in the course of one offseason. Again, as long as Kawhi doesn't go to the Lakers. Please don't go to the Lakers, Kawhi. For the love of God, for the love of the NBA, don't go to the Lakers. We're talking to Miami Heat basketball, Jimmy Butler, and much more with Ira Winderman of the Sun Sentinel. We're doing it next. Can you feel the heat down in your soul? Chris here until 10 p.m. 560 WQAM. The Miami Heat completed their sign-and-trade yesterday to get Jimmy Butler in. They had to give up a first-round pick to the Los Angeles Clippers to do so. 
along with sending Hassan Whiteside to Portland and Josh Richardson to Philadelphia to discuss that and more. We're joined now from Sacramento, the site of Sacramento Summer League. Ira Winderman, how is there basketball that is played immediately at the start of free agency? Like It begins and then there's more basketball. This is an absolutely absurd schedule. You know what? It is, Chris, but it shows you the two sides of the equation, that for every guy out there getting a $200 million contract, there's some guys here playing in summer league trying for a $50,000 guarantee and and, and, and a two-way contract at the end of their rainbow. So you really are seeing playing out both sides of basketball, including when the Heat play the Kings tonight at 11 o'clock on NBA TV. And you can check that out uh, at that point. Now, uh, yesterday there was a uh, debut for Tyler Hero that was uh, quality, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, especially because it showed he could be more than just a shooter, that he could be a combo player. And I guess my initial impression, Chris, is this. I can see him filling, now I don't know if people like this comparison, the Tyler Johnson role, Mm. that he can also play uh, sort of as a tweener guard, also can handle when needed. And let's face it, if they do trade Goran Dragic, all of a sudden this team might be in need of ball handlers. So it was kind of neat how the Heat in the first game out of the box just threw him out there, gave him the ball, and said, hey, kid, run some offense. And that, and so let's dig into it now. So the good stuff is the trading, the free agency, and all that. Do you think sure. that there is still an, a chance on for the Miami Heat here to trade Goran Dragic, or do you think they're happy that they got away from this uh, Clippers sign-and-trade and, and getting off all this salary while managing to keep Goran Dragic? Do you think that there is still a, a chance for them to trade him? Yeah, I'd say greater than 50% and mm. probably even far greater than that because, let's face it, Right now, as I wrote today at SunSentinel.com, they're up against the hard cap and, and over it right now. Basically, they have to get to that threshold, um, $138.9 million total team payroll, basically by Saturday when the Jimmy Butler trade can be completed. The only mechanism right now to do it is to use the stretch payment form, format on Ryan Anderson. And Chris, as you know, there's nothing worse, including when you're covering football, than dead money on your cap. Yep. And it would be hits of about $5 million in 2020, and especially 2021, when they look to be back in the cap race game when James Johnson and Kelly Olynyk and Deion Waiters are off the books. So I think they really want to avoid that. And if you can excise Goran Dragic's contract, you might have the flexibility to add a little bit more for this season, possibly including Boogie Cousins. And and that would certainly be interesting, uh, especially now because there, there is. I mean, I guess Myers Leonard can be your third big uh, yeah. with Olinick and with Bam Adebayo. But I, I do j- just overall, we're joined here by Aaron Winterman of the Sun Sentinel. Find interesting what happens next year, building around Jimmy Butler, right? So when you're into 2021, what do you think the Heat are going to be looking to do? Is it to try and open up as much cap space as they can? You know, keep you know Justice Winslow as an expiring uh, for that point because really they can clear their books. At 2021, is that what they're? I mean, because th- there's an extension for Bam Adebayo not too far away. You have to you have to make a decision on Justice. So, do you think the goal is going to be enter 21 with as much cap space as possible? I, I do. I, I think, with the exception of three guys, I think it's hey Jimmy, get comfortable with these nice supporting pieces in Bam Adebayo, Justice Winslow, and maybe even Chris Derrick Jones Jr. And then go out and possibly get two more real pieces to go for it. So, I think Jimmy was sold on. Part one of two parts. We will be competitive because we're the Heat and we never played a tank, much to the consternation of radio host Chris Whittingham. And then number <laughs> two, in 2021, we can give you your own team. So I think for Jimmy Butler, there were two different sort of uh, blueprints laid out there. That's why I think it's really important not to stretch Ryan Anderson. And it is incredible how much time we're spending using the name Ryan Anderson. Right, especially when a year ago when he joined and people were like, well, what's he going to do in the team? Like People are doing, the, doing this with Myers Leonard now. Right. And I just I can't see anything more than a 10 minutes a game foul no, trouble he's for... Third, he's your third big now, yeah. though. I mean, if Bam Adebayo or Kelly Olenek can't play or can't start, yeah. he's it. But you know what, Chris? I would be just as not as surprised to see Myers Leonard traded in the next couple of days. Sure. Again, you can trade another player immediately as long as he's not what the NBA calls aggregated. In other words, you can trade Myers Leonard at his $11 million plus, let's say, Derek Jones, you know, for $13 million going out. It would just be one player going out. So if anyone has interest in Myers Leonard and his trick-shooting wife or whatever, they could just sort of make a trade, excise that, and that could help them against the tax also. I think a lot in play between now and Saturday. 
One of the things that I'm curious about is if Miami at some point in rebuilding this roster can take on a few more assets, just because there is real concern right now for me that they've doubled down on the Goran Dragic trade in terms of now you're out of a tradable first-round pick until 2025, which is just a remarkable amount of time. And when you do get to a point where if in 2020 you can attract some free agents, you're going to need to have some stuff to fill out the rest of the roster. I mean, you've seen Toronto make big moves with Jakob Podol, a guy that they drafted, right? So they were able to fill out trades with the stuff that they've just been collecting for a long time. And the Heat are just short on stuff right now, other than young players, you know, in Bam, a really good one, and in Justice, a solid one, and who knows what they have in Tyler Hero. But do you think for Goran Dragic or even the expiring of Myers Leonard, they can get anything, even if it's a second-round pick, in return to, to, to sort of build up that armament a little bit? You know, it's funny because I spoke to someone involved, you know, in the game about that today. And honestly, Chris, I think the Heat are at the point. This sounds absurd that I think they would trade Goran Dragic for nothing, for one of those protected, we don't actually get a second-round pick, just to ease the situation and where they are now and move forward with the thought, number one, Goran can't be here after this season, basically, unless maybe he takes a one-year deal at, at, at longer money in 2020, just to extend out to 2021, that's possible. But I, I think it's people know the heat situation. People know the hard cap. People know the luxury tax. There's a way for the Heat, if they trade Goran for nothing, this is incredible, to get below the luxury tax, to not even start that repeater clock so that when Jimmy Butler's number keeps going up and up and up, they can play in the luxury tax without being in the repeater tax. So I think it's more a matter of offloading salary or not. I'm not sure where they go from that. Let's face it, Chris. If you trade Goran for nothing and you start Justice Winslow at point guard, you darn well better find another or two minimum salary point guards to be there also because mm-hmm. all of a sudden the team that had so many wings and everything would be in quite the pickle there. Anything in the G League for them there? I mean, I'm sure there's something somewhere at a minimum because, yeah. as I like to say, there's always an Ish Smith out there for everyone. <laughs> there so. is. I'm sure there's someone. I'm sure Briante Weber is standing by his phone right now. There's, there, there, but, there's always a Yogi Ferrell out there for someone yeah, to go and exactly. find. There's, there's always someone there who can, you know, chew gum and dribble the ball at the same time. So <laughs> they'll do that. I think, Chris, you're going to see a real heat churn. I think this is the start of the churn. I mean, the one thing you look at the heat, whether it was that big Jason Williams and Antoine Walker trade way back in the day in 2005, you know, or even more recent moves. Generally, when the Heat make a move, they make a lot of moves. When the Heat reset, they reset with an Olenek, with a Deion Waiters, with a James Johnson. So I don't think that Hassan and Jimmy Butler and Josh Richardson are the end of it. I think they might just be the start of it. Now, my, my question is, and we're joined here by Arrow Winterman of the Sun Sentinel, is, okay, so... Are they doing well here? Because a lot of people yesterday were, you know, wanting to start parades down Biscayne Boulevard sure. because Whiteside is gone and he's been, you know, persona non grata number one with the Heat fans. And they're so delighted that you get Jimmy Butler and you get off a of Whiteside on the same trade. But here's here's why I sort of wonder, right? First off, having to trade Whiteside and use a first round pick to at least get off of some of that money is fixing a mistake with, in some respects, another mistake, right? You don't want to be okay. giving up first-round picks just to fix mistakes. Um, sure. On top of the fact that if you get rid of Goran Dragic for nothing, yes, you got three or four years' worth of play out of him, but ultimately nothing too fruitful, and you gave up two first-round picks for him. Are these moves that, in general, are the sign of a team that's operating well? Are these good moves? Yes, obviously, you get Jimmy Butler in return, and that is the start of a rebuild, but at the same time, these are mistakes begetting mistakes. Yeah, you see, the Heat's thought is this, is when you open space and and you make a change, who else does it benefit not involved in the trade? For example, when you let go of us on Whiteside, you're also opening the complete development and unwrapping of Bam Adebayo. No more controversy. No more who plays how many minutes. No more how do we get us on even if 24 minutes. So the Heat look at it another way is they're unwrapping something. If they give up Goran Dragic, those two first-round picks you mentioned, including one the Clippers now own, unprotected in 2021, it's we're unwrapping Justice Winslow at point guard. We're exploring all of his possibilities while, while we're in a developmental stage or not. Of everything that went on yesterday, including the giving up of a first-round pick, that honestly might not be extended till 2028 possibly, you know, depending on where the Heat fall in the lottery, hopefully not by then. I think the biggest question is this. Did they give up too much on the value of Josh Richardson? Because in a salary cap league, it's not only about how good you are – 
It's about how good you are relative to your contract. And I think, Chris, you would agree at the kind of money that Josh Richardson is earning, he will be a value contract unquestionably for the remainder of that deal. You're not so sure the same about Jimmy Butler at 34 years old, making $40 million. I like Josh Richardson, but I realize by now he's never going to be an ultimate alpha for even half the games. I think Jimmy Butler can be that. Agreed. And I think that trade works out is sort of in theory, right? Incredibly well for both teams because Philadelphia gets a really good contributor. There's probably too many alphas on that Philly team to begin with. Yeah. You get a really good contributor for a third of the price at Jimmy Butler, who is a younger player and sort of adds a little bit of something different to that team. And it allows them to go and get Al Horford, which is a huge signing for Philadelphia. And for me, at least as things stand at the moment, make them the favorites at the Eastern Conference. And I, I do just want to sort of nail down on this from you, Ira. How big is it to have Jimmy Butler as an alpha-type player? From when you watch the Heat the last few years, without that guy, I mean, other than Deion Waiters and, you know, a month-and-a-half stretch, really have a clear, obvious talent as an alpha, as a leader, they so desperately miss that, that I think it's it's a it's a jump in eight or nine victories. And just having a guy other than Dwayne Wade at the end of his career that you'd legitimately turn to at the end of games who feels that confidence and that leadership from not just a Udonis Haslam way, but in a basketball way. How much were they missing that these last few years? Obviously they were, but there's a word someone when I was at the Summer League yesterday brought up to me that I think is important here also, Chris, and that's this word gravity. And what the mm. NBA person was talking about was this. How much does Jimmy Butler draw a second defender? How much does he slant the floor toward him? Because that's what superstardom is about. Everyone gravitates toward Giannis Antetokounmpo. Everyone gravitates toward LeBron and Anthony Davis and, 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 play, and Joel Embiid. So the question is, and this was the question brought up to me, as much as Jimmy could be a scoring threat, He's not necessarily the guy where you're immediately running a second defender at him or you're constantly keeping all eyes on him. He is a workman-like scorer. He doesn't have that uber-athleticism, to be honest. He doesn't have the ultimate shoot-at-any-time-for-anywhere threat, to be honest. And he doesn't have the dramatic finish flair. He's sort of Riley-like. He's a workman-like player. But I think that's part two of this, and that's the question I have. Will Jimmy Butler have enough gravity that he can slant the floor? That's what Dwayne Wade did. Dwayne Wade, you opened his prime. You always had an eye on him. That's not what Goran Dragic did. No team when Goran was the Heat's best player did they say, keep an eye on him at all time, run the second guy at him. So that's what I'll be curious when I watch the Heat, see mm -hmm. how Eric Spolster sets up the floor. If you don't have gravity, then your real worth as an overall superstar really is diminished. That's, that's an interesting point because for me, I, I do think of him as as having that talent. But I mean, obviously, we'll see it uh, depending on defensive schemes and. Is it almost by default, right? I mean, do you almost have that by default? Whereas, you know, maybe the Heat in previous years, you just defend them straight up. But because Jimmy Butler is such a standout talent in comparison to those other players on the Heat team, that he just sort of draws it just because if you're looking at a scout, you're going, well, we have to throw him at him because who else are we throwing it at? And I think that for me is is what's going to be different about this team. Whereas there's nobody on the floor. At least Jimmy can be three quarters of that. And that changes right. the math a little bit for his teammates. And that's what the Heat are hoping for, and that's why you're loading up on shooters, whether it's Tyler Hero coming in, whether it's trying to get Duncan Robinson more touches like we saw in the first half last night of the summer league game against the Lakers. It's always get an attacking guy, surround him with shooters, because, again, for better or worse, you've lost, if there ever was, the post-threat of, of Hassan Whiteside. I, I don't think Bam is in any way that kind of player. Kelly Olynyk can be in his unusual style. When he works near the basket, he can spray the ball out because his little ump and under junk does tend to work also. So that's what you need. You need the shooting to spread the floor. As soon as Tyler Hero was introduced, Pat Riley came over to me and he said, so you think we need shooters? We're getting shooters. And he told me they're getting at least one more. Now, whether that was Jimmy Butler in his view or another player to be added, we'll see, or maybe he just meant and will develop someone like a Duncan Robinson or maybe even a, a Kendrick Nunn who's in camp with them also. Yeah, and, and that's the last thing I wanted to leave you with here is what's next for Miami? What, what are they going to be doing uh, sort of in the free agent market? There was links today with Boogie Cousins. Um, what do they have left? It, obviously, it depends on the Dragons trade and, and the stretch uh, with Ryan Anderson, but what do they have left that they can do uh, to maybe add a little bit more to this team? Well, number one, they're going to look at Kawhi because if Kawhi doesn't go to the Lakers – 
People here are already talking about that Dragic is the guy the Lakers will move to. The perfect one-year wait when you don't get an elite guy. And, Chris, I think Goran would fit in perfectly with that team. He's not an alpha personality, but he doesn't mind spotting up and taking shots so that it could be as simple as that. If Kawhi does go to the Lakers, the money dries up. I still think there's a chance that Goran Dragic could wind up with the Mavericks in some permutation. Dallas still has the money. Not a lot of other places to spend it anyway. So that's possible. Otherwise, I think you ride it out. When you're a hard-cap team, life is just so different. It's the one thing the Heat have tried to avoid for years. The other part of the equation is this. If they're hard-capped, they're going to carry a maximum of 14 and for extended stretches, likely go with 13 players. Does it preclude Udonis Haslam, God bless him, Mm. for sort of having that emeritus role? And then I know this sounds so minor, but it's not for a hard-cap team. And I wrote about this also at SunSentinel.com. The Heat's two-way players will matter this year. They'll need productive minutes from those players, at least occasionally, when they get an injury situation. So, again, when you watch the Heat Kings tonight at 11 o'clock, don't get caught up in the Heat summer roster. Watch all these summer league games. You just as easily can sign a two-way player off of any other team, as long as they're not under NBA contract and not a draft choice, as you can under your own. Two years ago, the Heat did that. Derek Walton Jr. had a great summer league with Orlando. The Heat poached him away. I think finding the right two-way players will matter because when you're playing with a limited, taxed-out, hard-cap roster, you're going to need those players. It's amazing to me how much better the Heat have gotten in the margins. And you've probably noticed it in your Mm -hmm. time covering them almost from the beginning. It's one of the things that kind of makes me think of the Heat really as genuinely a sleeping giant. I mean, even beyond the fact they built the big three, they've gotten better at things that are not the big-ticket items, which is kind of how, how winning is done in the NBA. They've gotten so much better at this. And I think even you've seen other teams, like a Philadelphia today, that does a, a, a small signing like a James Ennis or brings back a Mike Scott. Teams realize those guys matter, over 82, especially now that we're seeing these maintenance programs and load management and all of that. It, it's almost like, and it's kind of weird, Chris, that your superstars are only expected to play 60 games, and you can darn well bet after the season Kawhi Leonard had, every single team he's talking to, he's making it clear to them, I'm good for about 60 or so this season. So the little margin guys can become infrequent contributors, but still very necessary. Ira Winman, you read his work on Twitter at Ira Heatbeat, and you check him out, sunsentinel.com as well. Ira, appreciate the time. And I'll let you rejoin Bobrovsky conversation already in progress. Bobrovsky! Put him, put him away, Bobrovsky. Appreciate it. All right, that is Ira Winman joining us here on WQAM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.